up, you guys? Welcome to The Imagination, where everything you think is real. Today's episode to me is a very, very important episode that I am honored to share with you. I am featuring today Miss Sarah Yabara Johnson and her mother, Carla, who are going to walk us through a story based around the injustice done by both the justice system, but more so the CPS system and how that works to help facilitate child trafficking, which is a topic that we've talked about a lot on this on this podcast. So without further ado, Sarah, Carla, welcome to the podcast. How are you guys doing today? Thank you. Uh, a little nervous, you know, it's never easy to do these interviews, but um, the truth needs to get out there and people need to know what's going on. People need to wake up. They do. And in this topic, I've had one other podcast that discussed CPS and it was very mind bending just learning about it because this isn't something I've been exposed to ever before either. I just thought it was a good organization that was doing a good job. And the worst part is stories like yours and the other person I interviewed, they're far from unique. So it's definitely a topic that I think more people are starting to look into. And I really appreciate you guys coming on because there's nobody that I personally know that's that's more of an expert on this topic than you guys. So I guess, why don't we just start from the beginning? Um, for people listening, this may be a two or three part podcast, depending on how much we get covered today. We want to make sure that information is palatable for you and don't want to talk your ear off for 10 hours at a time. So if it goes for 10 hours, just rest assured, we're going to break that up into smaller pieces. Um, but today we're just going to go with the flow and see how much we can get covered. And then we're, we're most likely going to definitely have a second part, but possibly a third. So why don't we just start with an introduction about who you who you and your mom are, Sarah, and just a little bit of background information before all of these events started happening. Okay. Um, well, I'm Sarah. I'm 31. I'm the mother of four sons um, who the state unlawfully took. Um, <clears throat> I don't have a criminal background. You know, I unfortunately did not graduate high school. But, um, you know, most of my life uh, from age 18, and I'm going to be 32 this year, has been revolved around fighting for my, my children. Uh, so I missed a lot of my, what do you, well, in my case, my golden years. Cause those, you know, those are, you know, my childhood. Everything. The bonding time with Yeah. Them. I missed those golden years. So, stolen. so, um, go ahead, mom, introduce yourself. My mom doesn't want to be on camera, everyone. So can you guys all see her right. photo? <laughs> on screen yeah, show? go ahead. You can use my photo. Yeah. Well, uh, I am. I my name is Carla, and I am Sarah's mother. Uh, Sarah is my fourth child. Uh, we were just a typical family, living in a pretty nice four bedroom home. It's five bedroom. Five bedroom home. Excuse me. Uh, it was uh, me, my two older daughters, uh, Sarah's younger brother, and Sarah. My two granddaughters and Isaiah were all living together in the same home. Uh, we shared in the parenting and uh, the babysitting as everybody worked to care for the children. And then when Arizona's Child Protective Services, which is now known as the Department of Child Safety, 
decided to kidnap my first grandson, Isaiah. Um, it destroyed my whole family. It, it just destroyed everything uh, emotionally, financially, structurally. Um, it tears you down as a person, as a human being. So we have um, made it our mission and our uh, goal to, of course, get my grandsons back. But we also want to uh, expose the criminal activity of Child Protective Services nationwide. Uh, we want transparency and we want to um, reform it. Shut, if it has to be shut down and reformed, we want it reformed. But most importantly, we want these criminals that we're going to name today. I mean, there's 168 people involved, two different states, 39 judges, and 13 court-appointed attorneys that are in my case alone. Um, and this has been, this was from 2009 till 2015, but I mean, we've still been fighting. And um, there's 398 human rights violations, and that's just in my case. <clears throat> oh, my God. So. so. Absolutely horrific. And those of you that are listening, you can't see all of the documentation that they've done, but this is going to be a very thorough interview, and I'm actually going to be bringing up evidence and documents and photographs on the screen for you guys to look at with us. So if you're listening, we're going to explain what all of that is um, as we're going through it. And if you're watching, pay attention to the screen whenever we bring that up and you guys can actually see what we're talking about for a lot of this um, for those of you who are watching on YouTube. So thank you so much for giving us a little bit of background. Let's start getting into before all this happened and what was going on in your life at that time around whenever you had your first child. Well, um, Sarah was, she was just 18 and, um, she was, um, you know, ready to have, uh, give birth to her first son, Isaiah in, uh, March of 2009. And, um, she was actually admitted to the hospital on March 24th. And her doctor, Dr. Don Jenkins, actually admitted, had had them administer Pitocin, Pitocin. to uh, accelerate her labor. And then um, Dr. Jenkins left the hospital and went to another hospital to deliver another baby. And when she was delayed on returning back to deliver Sarah's child, she had the hospital administer uh, a medication called uh, tuberlatine sulfate to stop her labor. Of course, we didn't know this at the time because it was pretty chaotic. Um, but um, Sarah was in labor uh, for three days. Oh, my gosh. Uh, actually, actually, two and a half days. And um, Isaiah was finally delivered uh, by C-section on March 26th. 
So she went in the hospital on March 24th. And then about three o'clock in the morning on the 26th is when Dr. Jenkins uh, finally took her in for a C-section. And what we, uh, now Pitocin really has a lot of side effects that they don't tell expectant mothers. Um, and those risks to the mother and the unborn ch children are retinal hemorrhage, cerebral hemorrhage, that's bleeding on the, on the brain. Uh, it causes neonatal jaundice, brain damage, including a condition called hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy and neonatal seizures, including death. Well, that's exactly what happened to Isaiah, is that he was finally diagnosed with the hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy and cerebral palsy. Now, everyone knows that cerebral palsy is a birth injury. So, real quick, I knew too, the doctor do had you made know, a mistake. I mean, do you know, are these drugs commonly used in birthing? Yes. yes. Okay. They're, they're very common. Okay. I wow. knew that Dr. Jenkins had messed up because... I saw Isaiah's head, and he looked like, uh, remember the old movie with Dan Aykroyd, uh, the, where they had the cones? I forget what it's called. The cone heads? Cone heads? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> That's what his head looked like. Um, and I found out that the umbilical cord was actually wrapped around his neck twice, and he went into asphyxiation inside the womb because he was not getting any oxygen. And, of course, you know, he, he went into distress. And I told Dr. Jenkins, I said, you know what? You better get your checkbook out because you just messed up. Well, Dr. Jenkins decided that she was going to cover up her medical malpractice. And she called the social worker at uh, the hospital. This was Arrowhead Hospital in Phoenix. And... Um, the note that we found, um, this is about seven hours after she delivered Isaiah. Uh, she's, the social worker note says that uh, referred to patient by Dr. Dr. Jenkins for emotional support. Well, um, that's where Child Protective Services, um, and I'll just call it CPS, started tracking Isaiah because he was a medically fragile child. Um, so were you aware you that went, they were tracking Isaiah? Yeah, they, that, yeah. We found out that they were through the records that we got from CPS on several occasions. We found out that before any reports were even made, that they were going into Isaiah's medical records. They were tracking him and Sarah. They wanted that child. What were they saying about Sarah to follow her? I'm sorry? What was it about Sarah or how she was as a mother? Or what was it that they were following you guys so closely for? Because don't they have to have a reason for that? No, you have to look at the money. If they have a medically fragile child, the federal funding is three times the amount. 
Oh my gosh. Okay. That, that makes sense. Hopefully for people listening to you. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead on where you left off. You're fine. No. Um, you know, so we didn't really know what was wrong with Isaiah because he, we took him to several doctors and he had several tests, you know, uh, EEGs, EKGs, uh, several, you know, he went to several neurologists because we didn't know what was wrong with him until he was about seven months old. And, and, and we took him to several different pediatricians because we wanted a diagnosis. Well, at seven months, that's when he was diagnosed with the hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy and, and, and cerebral palsy. So <clears throat> when he was about two months old, we, we were concerned about his health. So uh we took him to phoenix children's hospital and um this was in may of 2008 and he was admitted for five days now this another social worker contacted sarah and we found a note that said suggested to dr carter that mom be observed during nesting and if there are issues or concerns or if she the mother does not so show up then social worker can, could consider CPS referral. Holy moly. So this just proves that they were still tracking him. Now, what we found out later on uh, was that um, Arizona CPS has a contract uh, with um, Phoenix Children's Hospital, and that is... A5, Emma. Phoenix Children's Hospital gets paid $865 for every child they refer to CPS. And this is just a, this is just when CPS comes and takes a child. I mean, that's not all the money that Phoenix Children's Hospital can earn. They can earn thousands of dollars per child for medical reports testimony, anything and everything under the sun. So wow. the additional contracts incentivize a financial profit to Phoenix Children's Hospital up to about six $6,000. Now, for Arizona CPS to have a contract with Phoenix Children's Hospital, that's a violation of Stark's law. Stark's law prohibits referrals that reflect a conflict of interest when there is a financial gain. Now, I found the con this contract, and I just sent you the price sheet. But after I exposed this on social media, uh, Arizona has taken it down. They, they removed it. You cannot find this contract anywhere. <laughs> so they're hiding. Uh, they're, they're hiding criminal, their contracts, they're hiding their, their conspiracy and, um, you know, with contracting uh, this hospital. They don't want people to know that Phoenix Children's Hospital gets paid when 
CPS comes in and takes a child. Yeah, but it's not a conspiracy, though. It is a conspiracy. Uh-huh. It's conspiracy and collusion. Oh, yeah. okay, you're talking, okay, you're talking, I'm like, <laughs> not a conspiracy like, theory. <laughs> We're not telling false information, people. And when they when they kidnapped Isaiah on May 4th, 2009, they they made the false allegation that um, Sarah and then me were medically neglecting him, that he was having seizures. Mm. And now he wasn't that we weren't, especially Sarah wasn't taking them to medical doctors right but in the records years later we found out we found a note in december of 2008 which is like what five months six months before they kidnapped him and it was documented by a cps worker by the name of joy taylor and that is um A4. 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 Okay, let me bring right. that up. While I'm bringing that it's up, what you're essentially saying and what I'm hearing is that CPS will track children once they almost get that child on their radar, that they have those issues at birth. And essentially, they'll monitor you to look for any reason that they can legally take that child that fits underneath certain criteria even if it's not necessarily true, they can claim that you're neglecting a child, even if you're not, and you aren't able to have a say in that. Is that essentially how that happens? Well, I mean, we found out to be right, right on with Sarah's, with Sarah's case, with, with them taking Isaiah. Yes. Unbelievable. But in December of 2009 uh, or 2008, Six months before they took him, it says there's a note from this Joy Taylor, and that was a four, December 6, 2008. Data shows that Isaiah was seeing two pediatricians, two neurologists, and an eye doctor at the moment, as well as going to Phoenix Children's Hospital. He's registered with DDD, which is the Department of Developmental Disabilities and Healthy Families. So they knew six months prior to kidnapping him that he had several doctors. Unbelievable. And you guys can see that on the screen, right? Uh, yeah, can you zoom in though? Yeah, good idea. Yep. Oops. Okay. That's, that's better. There we go. Is that better? Is that good? So yeah. for people okay. watching, you guys can actually see this official document that Carla's talking about. Unbelievable. Now, what were they? Were the doctors? Were was anybody hinting at you of any type of collusion or saying? I mean, I know that they don't openly say that, but were there any clues that you guys had or things that made you start thinking around this time that? Yeah, no. are these people working together on something, or were you just we trying had no, to? We had no clue because we had healthy families coming into our home once a week. We had uh, a worker from the foundation from the blind coming into our home uh, once a month, I believe. 
And everybody always said what a really great job we were doing with Isaiah. And really, you're just trying to be good parents, grandparents, and find out how to help this child who had these unfortunate... Well, um, yeah, I mean, especially when the medical professionals can't figure out what's wrong with him. You know, I mean, they thought he was blind. They figured out he wasn't blind. They thought he was having seizures, but he wasn't having seizures. And then seven months later, he's diagnosed with cerebral palsy and the hypoxic and, and ischemic encephalopathy. And he was having tonic spasms. He wasn't having seizures. And the tonic spasms is basically involuntary muscle movements. You know, it was it was kind of like like having like epilepsy you <coughs> he couldn't control it now what about the doctor that administered this medication was there any did you know at the time of was this research that you did after where you were able to put these pieces together that hey i think the the medication that he administered did this or were you thinking that it happened to be just a a random birth defect in a sense that that you well, didn't know what the first, cause was. At, at first, we didn't know why they were giving him anti-seizure medication because, you know, with the doctors, you know, there was uh, Dr. Teodori at the Children's Hospital. There was other doctors that had given him uh, brain scans. And then there was Dr. Chapman at the Barrows Neurological Institute they were all consulting each other and they thought he was having seizures and prescribed phenobarbital, but the phenobarbital, what they found out was making it worse. And what ultimately the neurologist found out was that he only suffered seizures on day one of life. On the day he was born, that's the only time he had a seizure. So they took him off the phenobarbital. And it got better. But when CPS wrote the fraudulent petition to the court, they said, I took him off the phenobarbital. No way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's bad. It's bad. But... Now, in your documents I sent you, uh, <coughs> will you get it together, woman? <laughs> Exhibit B1. B1. Here it is. Okay. Now, this document is dated May 3rd, 2009. Now, what this document, what Rhonda Cash, uh, she's a supervisor that absolutely hated me and her subordinate, Jennifer Hagen, did was they sent this document over to Isaiah's pediatrician and lied to the pediatrician and said that they had Isaiah in their custody and they were not allowed to give Sarah any of Isaiah's medical documentation. No way. Does that zoom in anymore? Or is that as far as it goes? Yeah, I can zoom in more. Is that better? 
Oops, butter. You can see the dates. It's well, oh yeah, but I didn't know. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know. You know, yeah. my vision's horrible, but I'm like, <laughs> yeah, is that a little bit better? Yeah, that's way better. Okay. Yeah, and and they also submitted this document to Dr. Teodori too. Um, what <laughs> what they didn't, the doctor they didn't submit this document to was Dr. Kevin Chapman at Barrow's Neurological Institute. So we got all of his medical records from Dr. Chapman. So the next day on May 4th, Sarah and I had to go to a meeting at the CPS office. And what we found out years later was that one of the CPS workers had called the police department. They called 911 and I have, I actually have the police report. And they said that there was a fight at the CPS office. Well, there wasn't a fight. Um, there was 14 officers and seven police cars that showed up that actually held Sarah and I at that office while a social worker and two other cops went to our house and took Isaiah. And they were going to throw me in jail. And they were going to arrest my oldest daughter, who had Isaiah at the time. But it was during that meeting, we took all of Isaiah's medical records with us, because we had them all. Um, and um, Rhonda Cash told Sarah, she slapped her hand on the table, and, and I'll never forget it, tell her, as long as I live. She told Sarah, I don't care what medical documents you have for, for Isaiah. I'm taking your son because your mother has pissed me off. <gasps> oh <laughs> my god! So how did, did how does that happen? Whenever CPS comes to a home to take a child, did they force themselves into your house? How is how did that situation happen? Like what what happened that day when that event took place? Well, the Phoenix Police Department has a contract with Child Protective Services. And they're actually mandated to go help CPS take that child. They don't use warrants in Arizona. Uh, they, you know, the only time they can take a child uh, without a warrant, according to federal law, is if there are extended circumstances, if that child is in immediate danger. Well, it's obvious that Isaiah wasn't in immediate danger, uh, but the police, instead of doing their fiduciary duty to uphold the law and uphold your rights to protect and serve the public, instead they help CPS kidnap these children. And the thing that's tough but, is we get wrapped up a lot in thinking that Every single person within an organization that is corrupt is corrupt. But a lot of times there's police officers being fed information that they are trusting that's truth and they're doing what they think is their job. A lot of police officers, they don't necessarily know that, that what they're doing is criminal activity. You know, that's the really hard part to grasp is that this is hidden so well that even the person committing the crime doesn't even know that they're committing a crime half the time. You know, they actually think that you guys are being negligent parents, whatever else that they uh, come up with, with 
parents and have in their eyes that authority to actually take a child. So they came and knocked on your door and Sarah, you weren't home, you said at that time? No, we were at the uh, we were at the CPS office. We were okay. being held at the CPS office. Right. Okay. So what happened at the home? What did your sister tell you or how did you guys find out about this uh, happening? My oldest daughter, Erica, she was like, I mean, she was completely she was uh, freaking out. She was totally completely freaked out because they told her, the cops told her that if she didn't open the door and give them Isaiah, that they were going to arrest her and throw her in jail. Did she know who it was knocking on the door to you? Did they tell yeah, her? Yeah, yeah, she was on the phone with us and she was screaming and crying and didn't know what to do. Yeah. But see, Rhonda Cash also told me during that meeting, she said, and I quote, I will ensure that you will not be a part of this case. I'm going to make sure you never see your grandson Isaiah again. And I will ensure that the judge will really be pissed off at you. So when they submitted this petition to the court, they made up, just made up all these lies about me. I would let Sarah take Isaiah to the doctor I took him off the phenobarbital. I did this. I did that. Well, they tar- they they made my mom a target to seem like an unfit grandparent because they're supposed to place the child with immediate family. Arizona state law and federal law mandates that if a child is removed from their parents, the grandparents are the first order of placement, grandparents and then family members. Yeah. But the thing is, is with the federal funding, if these children that are removed from their parents are are placed with grandparents or family members, CPS doesn't get the money. They don't get the money for foster care. Mm -mm. So that's the last thing they're going to do is place that child with grandparents or family members because they want that federal money yeah unbelievable so they don't need a warrant in arizona they're supposed to place the child with a grandparent or grandparents so they targeted you then carla to make you seem unfit for that and they literally took your child out of your sister's arms yeah right right so what was going through your mind whenever, because you guys are at the CPS office, were you talking to anybody there about this? What was going on on your side while all of this is happening and she's talking to you on the phone? It was so chaotic. I mean, you 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 don't have time to think in a situation like that. You don't. You know, it's like a, what is it? I'm thinking of fight or flight type stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, you're going to stand your ground. And when you do, that's when they threaten you with arrest and bringing up criminal charges. Like they, they, the only thing that they don't threaten you with that, that I know of is being murdered. You know what I mean? That's like, but every, every everything else, oh my God, they just, yeah, they, they know remember, how. I remember one of the, one of the police officers or the cops or whatever you want to call him. Yeah. He told me to put my hands behind my back because he was going to arrest me. And I was just standing there. You know, you're like, you're like in this meeting and and all of a sudden you've got 
you know, seven cop cars and 14 cops, you know, with their lights on and their sirens and their storm in the building. And you're like, what the hell is going on here? We didn't even know that, that they called the police. So it was all the whole and thing. And I, I, I had to fight literally for years to get a copy of that, in, that incident report where I found out. <laughs> Because I couldn't figure out how the cops came to that office. And the police department, the records division, hid that report that someone had called 911 and claimed that there was a fight. But I got it. I got it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, now, the other thing is that um, our wonderful legislators, when they... When it comes to their attention that some of the Arizona revised statutes actually protect the parents, they um, actually wipe it off the books. Um, we have some legislators that basically work for uh, work for uh, DCS, our, our Child Protective Services. You know, they're foster parents. They have uh, you know stock or or they're a stakeholder in a group home, a foster care group home and stuff. Um, back in 2009, there was a statute on the, on the books, an Arizona revised statute that says that um, a child who is developmentally disabled and Isaiah fit into that category because he had cerebral palsy that they have to do a removal review. Now, as soon as they took Isaiah, I was on the computer, I was on the phone, and I was doing research to figure out what the what our rights were. Well, let's not and, forget and how you laid in bed for like five days straight. I, I, I was just, I was absolutely devastated. I want them to know that but that's what they did to you. We, we, Isaiah was my buddy. You know, he was just my buddy. He was my first grandson. I had two granddaughters, but you know, it every, was just every grandchild is different. You know, you have certain, you have a different bond with each child. And with Isaiah being developmentally disabled, him and I had, we just had a special bond and but anyway because he was disabled they were supposed to do a removal review before a petition is filed and it says here if, if the child has a medical need or a chronic illness the review team shall include the child's physician or registered nurse practitioner and if the child suffers from a chronic illness at least one member of the team shall be a physician. A child shall not be removed unless a majority of the members of the re review team agree that removal is necessary. If the child has already been removed, the child shall be returned to the home. Now, we filed a complaint with the Arizona Ombudsman's Office and we reported the fact that CPS did not do a removal review. So the lady at the ombudsman's office, Kara Van Ice, 
we found um, internal communication. And she wrote to Wanda Cash, and she said, Carol Van Nuys at the ombudsman's office said to Wanda Cash, do you know if anyone told Sarah, as she claims, (coughs) that CPS slipped up and didn't do a review as required? And Wanda said, Rhonda responded and said, no, no removal review was done. It was just an oversight. So even though we filed a complaint with the ombudsman's office, they never did anything. They never investigated it or nothing. Did they give you a reason Um, why they didn't investigate? What did they say to you when you would pursue that they didn't they didn't say anything they never got back to us at all and of course i didn't know that at the time until i started looking up uh the (coughs) statute until i until i started (coughs) until until i started looking up the statutes of what they're required to do and unfortunately, I don't have those statutes in front of me. But now um, they sent Sarah a letter um, 16 days after they took Isaiah. And they CPS predetermined that Sarah, Sarah was guilty of medical neglect. Um, there was no investigation. There was, they didn't obtain any medical records. They didn't collaborate with any of his licensed medical professionals. And prior to any court determination, they added Sarah's name to the central registry and actually labeled her as a child abuser. And the medical, the medical neglect that they were claiming you were responsible for is the seizure medication. Is that right? Sorry, could you repeat that? Am I, I was sneezing. Sorry. That's okay. No worries. The medical neglect that they were accusing you of, was that still the seizure medication or what did they add more to that, that they were accusing you for? They just they they just said it was medical neglect that Isaiah hadn't been taken to a neurologist or a pediatrician. I mean, his last pediatrician visit was on it was at the end of February of two thousand and nine. I think it was February twenty fifth of two thousand and nine. He went to the pediatrician. It says right here, the mother is unable to parent due to medical neglect. The mother has refused to take the child to a neurologist or a pediatrician. But see, when they put Sarah on the central registry, they said that, and the law says that, um, Sarah had the right to a hearing before an administrative law judge to dispute her name being put on the central registry. Now, CPS 
denied Sarah to have that hearing. What did, what was their reasoning to, to say no? Uh, they said that the petition was already filed or that her name was already added. The petition was already filed, but the petition was not filed. And how, um, how did you find out that it was not filed? Because of the date um, on the petition. I believe the petition wasn't filed until um, May 13th of 2009. So they filed it after the, the claim said that they filed it. Is that correct? Right. Oh, yes, goodness. Exactly. How can they refute that if it's literally in writing? Because there's no there's no accountability because, you know, it's not just CPS, <clears throat> it's the the judges let them get away with the fraud, the attorney general's mm -hmm. office. Everybody's in on it. I'm not joking. All, all the agencies are in on it. You talk about it, FBI, the CIA. You know, man, you know, there's people that work in our, that were up there working, you know, not, I'm not talking about President Trump that have been, but people that have been up in the White House. Do you know what I mean? The Clintons, the Bush administration, who was it? Um, you know what I mean? Like they're all, they're all in on it. I'm not saying every person is you bad have, in the agency. You have the CPS workers, you've got the police department, the doctors, you've the got doctors, you've got therapists, um, counselors. They're all in on What it. we found out is that like schools are in on it. Every time in these in these dependency proceedings, when they have the parent go take a psychological evaluation. <coughs> <laughs> Sorry, mom does not. I just want everybody to know she does not have COVID. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I promise we're we're good. We're but the doctors that give these psychological evaluations to the parents, the parents are not the client. The judges. Put it this way, I was told that I was not a party to my case. M me, the mother, I was not a party to my own case. Right. We have that, we have a document that says that, and we tried to file uh, documents in the Court of Appeals, and the clerk told me that we can't file it because Sarah's not a party to the case. Yeah. And I asked her, I said, can you put that in writing? And she did. She did. I know. These oh people, <laughs> these people, they, honestly, it's like they, they bury themselves in their own sin. I'm not kidding. Like, what happens in darkness comes to light, people. You know what I mean? It always comes to light. Well, I appreciate you guys sharing some of these connections because I think that that's one thing that I get a lot from listeners is they say, Oh my gosh, after these episodes, your guests explain really well how things are interconnected. Because that's the part that's really hard for people to think about. It seems that it couldn't be true because they don't know how to connect those dots. They hear that 
this group of people might be involved or this organization or these elite, right? But then they hear that it happens over here too. And they're thinking, well, how does that all connect? I think one thing that your story really does well is you guys have proof of these connections, not just through your documentation, but from what you've learned ever since this, you know, and I think that that's really important to, to bring all of that up is because you have that documentation of it. And I think that's really helpful for people just to start to see how the big picture works and not have it be so daunting of a thought. You know, how does this all work together? I can't wrap my mind around that. Your case does a really great job of showing how this organization is involved and how they're getting paid by this organization. As you said earlier, follow the money. You know, that's what everybody should be thinking is how much money is one child worth, you know, whenever you go through all of this. Right. And why wouldn't right. there be organizations and greedy people who want to kick back from that, who want to pay out, who want some type of a financial gain or a bonus on top of the money that they're already making to have a piece of this pie, right? This is a multi-billion right. dollar industry that we're talking about. This isn't just, you know, corruption that nobody's benefiting from and just random events. This is a financial business. This is right. an, an underground industry. It's a black market, essentially, just like pharmaceuticals in a way. You know, you do this, oh, yeah. do this favor for me, administer this this much drug or sell this many prescriptions, whatever it is. Doctors get kickbacks and we're well aware of that. Why wouldn't other industries have the same type of incentives, right? That's right. the part that right. your case does really well is helping to explain that. So go ahead where we left off. Um, I like I said, I appreciate you guys connecting all those dots. It, especially in a in a state, it helps to see how even on a state level, this can all work together. Yeah. Well, this is something that I want your your listeners to know. I didn't know this until um, I had my youngest son. Um, when you are pregnant and you go into a hospital. Um and you give your child a birth certificate and a social security card, they become owned by the state that they're born in. That is very important for them to know. Um, so the reason that I was, well, I'll, I'll get back into this later. Um, but I just think that that's so very important, especially if there's any of your listeners that have an open CPS case or they know someone and they're pregnant and they don't want this baby to be taken they need to go in anonymous, okay? They don't have to give reasons why. Go in anonymous. Um, yeah, that's what we did when Sarah J. first did her fourth son, Jaden. Um, we went in, and because we found out with her second son, they have what's called a hit list that CPS submits to the hospitals if they know that that mother that had a prior child removed, it, they'll know if that mother is going to, give birth to a second or a third child, they submit a document called a hit list. And so when she gave birth to Jaden, um, we, uh, we, we, she went in anonymously. So if CPS contacts the hospital or whatever, you know, then they don't know that she's there having a child. And we got to bring Jaden home for like eight months. Okay. So Mothers aren't, it's not a law that they have to give all that personal information whenever they check into a hospital. They can just be anonymous and not give any of that. 
Right. I think we use the excuse that, you know, Sarah was in a bad relationship and she wants the father to know that she was giving birth, you know, so they just put her in as, as patient X. Okay. You know. And is that every state you can do that? Are there any exceptions to being able to bypass uh, giving your name? The, I don't know about any laws that cover that, but, you know, um, HIPAA protects your privacy, but I guess obviously HIPAA has nothing to do with CPS. They have a way of getting around that. Obviously they do because CPS was going into Isaiah's medical records before they even ever kidnapped him. So, you know, you know, going through documents. <clears throat> So in May 2009, they take Isaiah because they're saying that, that he was medically neglected by Sarah and his family, right? So here we are, 17 and a half months, 17.5 months into the, the court case, right? And, um, oh my gosh, I cannot stop coughing. Um, Amy Cromer, uh, a CPS worker at That's Exhibit D2, she, I found a fax cover sheet dated October 26, 2010, uh, requesting that I, they get Isaiah's medical records. So, you know, if, if, if he was taken like 17 and a half months earlier for medical neglect, why is it they're getting they're they're trying to get his medical records in October of 2010? Okay, and then in December 2010, uh, Exhibit D3, one of Sarah's court-appointed pretenders, and I'll tell you, they're not an attorney. Who? Wait, they're gotta name names. A printers, a, a pretender. Sandra Machetto, she did note to the court that she says, counsel for the mother has concerns with DES caseworkers' report as well as the lack of production of the children's medical records. Now, so Amy Cromer from CPS requests those records in October of 2010. And then in December of 2010, they're still not submitted to the court. Well, you know what? CPS never intended to submit those medical records because they would have proved Sarah's innocence of medical neglect. Those medical records for Isaiah were maliciously withheld from the court so they could keep Isaiah in foster care they could take his brother, Wilfredo, in October of 2009 and, keep, the, and keep those boys. And the only reason they took her second son, Wilfredo, directly from the hospital or you was Freddy. because they already took Isaiah. Now, if we step back a minute here... Um, the very first minute entry written by Judge Kathy Holt 
Um, I don't know if it sent it, if I sent it to you. Hold on, let me find it here. Oh, exhibit H1. This minute entry is the very first court hearing that we had for Isaiah. And I'll tell you, I went to every court hearing with Sarah. Every single one. Hell or high water wasn't going to keep me away from these court hearings. Oh, wow. But May 13th of 2009, Judge Kathy Holt states in this minute entry, it is ordered, continue the child, Isaiah Emery Johnson, as a temporary ward of the court to prevent abuse and neglect. And that's on paragraph five. So they took him claiming medical neglect, but now they're saying that they took him to prevent abuse and neglect? Yeah, can you zoom on that, um, Emma? Where it states, it states, oh, I'm stuttering, where it states, <laughs> sorry. Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. Clear as day. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, do, do CPS workers have some sort of crystal ball where they're going to step in and take your child away from you to prevent a possible abuse and neglect? And that's really, that's the grounds, essentially, if you had to sum it up, that's basically what they told you. Right? There's no other reason other than an assumption. Right. Right. They didn't have any. Um, when we went through all the court hearings, and I'm telling you, there was like too many to even count. Oh my gosh. It got so bad, Emma, that, uh, I mean, we got so popular in there. I'll put it that way. We got so popular in those courthouses that we had sheriff deputies and security from the court. Uh, watching us, going in the courtroom, supervising us, and when the judge wanted us out or wanted, like, the attorney general, uh, you know, or whatever, whomever, wanted my mom out, they'd kick her out. I, I, I've been kicked out of, uh, of a court hearing before. I mean, not because of anything that we do, because, you know, we're, we're, we're not disruptive or anything. But they know, I mean, I, 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 Mom been, stands her ground. I have been quite an advocate, and I have had no mercy um, exposing the criminal acts of these judges that are what you call legislating from the bench. You can't have mercy on evil. Um, because what what they do in these courtrooms is they violate your due process rights. Um. And one thing that, that the listeners need to know is that, and this is very important, is that when fraud is committed upon the court, okay, so when these CPS workers go in and lie to the court saying mom's done this, mom's done that, the courts do not have jurisdiction over the parties and they don't have jurisdiction over the subject matter. So... Any court proceeding that is perpetrated by fraud, 
all the orders that are issued in that case are null and void. They're not worth the paper they're written on because it's all fraud. Just like the executive, the executive orders that Biden's out there putting out, those are all flushed down the toilet. They're all fraud because he's not the legitimate president. No. I'm sorry. I just had to throw that in there. It's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> sorry. I'm just saying it's a good point. Hey, this isn't your average uh, interview. No, we've talked. Uh, I've had plenty of politics on these, so I welcome. It's an open conversation. I welcome all of that. It's good for people to be informed. You know, hopefully, people are taking some notes and can go research some of this themselves if they want. Laugh a little, smile a little. But I, I know, I, I know, I, I sure, uh, I sure ruffled Rhonda Cash's feathers because I'm telling you. Even after they took Isaiah, when they took Sarah's second son, her third son, and her fourth son, all Rhonda Cash was still involved because, you know, they, these other CPS workers, and I, I don't know, there was a lot of them. Oh my gosh, there's a lot. Some of them actually quit when they, when we got through with them. But um, in September of 2009, uh, a CPS worker wrote, maternal grandmother is restricted from having any contact with Isaiah. In October 2009, oh, oh, listen to this. Carla Johnson, with whom CPS has major concerns, maternal grandmother has not been shown to be a placement that would be consistent with meeting the child's needs and being a part of the CPS team. Well, I didn't volunteer to be a part of the CPS team because I have morals and character. And I have a conscience. You have a soul. I have a a moral compass that I can't go in and steal these children and destroy these families. I never wanted to be a part of the CPS team. So, you know, and then here we go in September of 2011 with Sarah's third son, Josiah. Uh, CPS workers write, contact with his maternal family should be restricted. So if we could real quick, I'd love for you guys to talk about those instances too. So the first instance, your sister was home. People are knocking on the door. You guys are not home. And that situation happens. What happened the following instances too, leading up to both of them? You mean when they came and they took the, the second, second one? Yeah. Oh, the, we're going to call him Freddie. Perfect. Um, well, we they took uh, Freddie directly from the hospital when he was four days old. Oh, my gosh. I had to. And I begged for my. Um, they, they just said neglect. Yeah. I begged for them to keep him in the hospital an extra day because they were going to take him. And you, um, you had no idea that they were going to come take him. No, I knew. I knew. Because um, to get me away from CPS, my mother and my OBGYN petitioned me into the psych ward because my baby was not losing weight. Or gaining weight. Ga- I'm sorry, gaining weight. Ah, gaining weight. I'm so sorry. Um, Sarah was so stressed out that I, I, I had a conversation with her OBGYN and we decided to kind of put Sarah in a retreat somewhere. I wanted to die. Are you kidding me? I wanted to die. I wanted to kill myself. Okay. I mean, like your viewers need to know the truth. This is, 
this will, you know how many parents kill themselves over this? Every single day. I'm not going to shy away from saying that. Mothers and fathers do. They commit suicide. I'm not, I just, I want everybody to know this is the cause and effect of, of how, uh, evil it is all the way around. But I do, I remember going to the hospital to visit Sarah when she gave birth to Freddie. And I saw these evil social workers coming out of the hospital. And they stopped me and told me that they were going to take him because they had Isaiah. Yeah. And um, so now when they took her second son, now they're they're char- they're claiming they they come up with these false allegations that Sarah's got mental health issues. She's got substance, substance abuse issues. Uh, and, they're what domestic, domestic violence violence issues. So now they're just pouring on these. And these are standard though. These are standard allegations that they give everyone. You know, they're pulling all these allegations out of their. But there, yeah, and they never, much. there was never anything that they could back it up with. It was just an allegation. You were never accused of these crimes. This was never something that. No, the thing I well, think no. when you were accused, these were allegations made against yeah, you. Yeah, I understand. Right. That. But they never had any evidence to. Right. You were never like convicted of the crime. The allegations to make them true. Right. But with my second born, Freddie, the father was. He has a criminal background for drugs. But wait, but wait. So after they they take Isaiah or uh, Freddie from the hospital four days old, we we find an internal communication note from one CPS worker that says, you know, that that, um, there was substance abuse. And she didn't understand why they were taking him because his... uh, uh, what's that test they give you after the they give the baby? The urine test? The drug test? Yeah, they give the babies a, a test after they're born to check for drugs and stuff. None of my children have been born and, with and, any and drugs. And he tested negative. So <laughs> I'm just saying that's probably what could have. But she didn't understand why she was being asked to take this child because he didn't take he didn't test positive positive for any drugs. And this child didn't have, um, did you take the same medications this time? What do you mean? No, Sarah had a different doctor because okay. after, after I told John, Don, Dr. Jenkins with, to get her checkbook out for the medical malpractice, she, uh, closed her practice and moved back East and opened a practice back there. It doesn't mean so that she's- Sarah had a different doctor. When when um, Freddie was born. Okay, so you didn't get administered the same drugs while you were giving birth that you were no, the first no. time. So this child was born completely healthy. Were there any issues? No, no, no not with my last three. So they didn't even have no, that. To... Isaiah. Okay, so this was simply because your firstborn they had those allegations against you. And so they were, it was an assumption that because they alleged that against you the first time, that that made you an unfit child for the next children, 
which also made your mother, Carla, unfit because they had allegations against her too, correct? Right. Okay. Well, they made they just made them up. Well, exactly. Okay. It wasn't yes. something you were convicted of. It's something that they were alleging. Right. All the allegations were false. We, me and my mom don't have criminal backgrounds. See, when, when we went to trial, um, because um, CPS filed a motion to terminate Sarah's parental rights to Isaiah and Freddie. Okay. When we went to trial, they had CPS had absolutely not one single medical doctor get on the stand or, and they never submitted one single medical professionals, uh, documentation that ever proved that we medically neglected Isaiah or that he was having seizures other than on day one of life. They didn't have anybody testify. Uh, one social worker and then my ex-friend of over 10 years, Sandy, Sandy Guzier testified and that was it. And this, I know that you don't want to talk about every name and every situation. So if this is something that you're unable to talk about, that's totally fine. Wanted to ask though, you did bring up the father. Are you able to talk about the father's role in all of this? And yeah, I can talk about it. Okay, perfect. I'd love to to share that too. I'm sure people, after you said that, are wondering if he stepped up and you know how that. How that situation no, went too. No, that no. Was, if oh, anything, it was the total opposite. He, uh, he was actually holding my son over my head. Um, you know, he was the type of person that normally you see it with women. I mean, I'm not no nothing against women, but I'm just saying, like you know, like on social media, you'll see, you know, like the moms or even dads do it too. But I'm just saying, like. I'm, I'm trying not to, I don't want to get hate from your viewers. I'm not trying to be mean, but like, I've no, I know some women that have done this. Um, they're used, if you piss, children are used as, as like a leverage a pawn or, or there leverage. you go. Thank yeah. you. I'm sorry. I didn't want to get hate. No, I'm sure everybody <laughs> listening can relate to what you're saying and say, Oh, I've, I've seen things like that too. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's what he was doing. And so was the grandmother, his mom. I mean, they were willing to do anything as long as they got the child. Well, yeah, but see, when, when they took Freddie, when they kidnapped Freddie, we really wised up real quick. So after they took him from directly from the hospital, um, we had to go to a meeting again at CPS. Well, we learned that now we had to record everything. So what happened during that meeting is important to note to the listeners that the CPS workers told Sarah they demanded that she go to family court and sign away her parental rights and give the father full custody or CPS was going to take that child. Okay. And we have it all recorded. 
And I told Sarah, I said, don't you dare, don't you dare give away your parental rights. Because we knew that the father um, was not a good character. And he was in trouble with the law. In fact, he's just now finishing up a seven-year uh, prison sentence. Oh, wow. And they wanted but to place when, a child when, with him? Yeah, yeah, I know. Tell me about it. They didn't do a background check on him or nothing. Uh, but when, when CPS found out, well, they had actually given the, the baby to him on a, on a temporary basis. And when CPS found out that Sarah didn't go to family court and didn't relinquish her parental rights, um, our house was surrounded like we were international terrorists. And praise be to the Lord that we got this all on video where they are trying to break into our house. The cops are trying to break into our house. The supervisor is making comments saying that, you know, he's upset with me because I'm spouting off my fourth amendment right. And they're threatening to break into our house and arrest us and put us in jail. If we don't give them a Freddy. And they said, you know, they made all kinds of excuses. Yeah, we got a warrant. But they didn't produce a warrant. Um, and the police sergeant says the baby's fine. We're just doing a well child check. But no, they were there to kidnap this child. So, but we got the whole thing on, on video where, you know, they're spraying our, our screen door lock. And they're say, saying, call the locksmith, pick the lock. Yeah, they were, they were going to throw us in jail. Yeah, we sent we sent those uh those videos to you, Emma. So sorry. Oh, sorry. I had to feed my dog. Sorry. So what else? Ouch. What else? And so that was the second kidnapping. What happened with the third? Well, I, you know, sometimes parents have what you can find like an underground railroad, so to speak. And I had met this lady and on, on, I don't know, it was through Facebook or something. And she turned out to be so I, I decided to take Sarah to Oklahoma to give birth to her third son. And we went to Oklahoma, and there was complications. Um, but my son was born healthy, no medical issues, you know what I mean? Yeah, she started leaking amniotic fluid and stuff, and the doctor had decided to deliver Josiah, but wanted Sarah's medical records from here. And unfortunately, Sarah was taking anxiety medication because of what CPS had done to her. Well, those three little letters, CPS, um, alerted Oklahoma. So Oklahoma <laughs> contacted Arizona 
and the Department of Health and Human Services in Oklahoma came and took uh, Josiah directly from the hospital. In Oklahoma. Yeah. In Oklahoma. And that was in June. And they actually, they knew that we were not residents of Oklahoma. And they knew that they didn't have jurisdiction. But they held us out in Oklahoma until September, until I finally put my foot down and I said, no, we're going back home to Arizona. But by this time, they had contacted Judge Christopher Curry, Corey, Corey, C-O-U-R-Y, that didn't like me either. And so they, Arizona took over the court proceedings. But one thing that is noteworthy is that when Judge Christopher Curry, and this is exhibit F3, F as in Frank, F as in Frank, okay. yeah. I thought you said there's something else. On May 16th of 2011, he wrote like, I, I forget how long the minute entry is. Um, it, it's several pages. And this minute entry dated May 16th of 2011 is the one and only, the one and only document we ever received from the clerk of the court. But anyway, he's, the, the judge, when he terminated Sarah's unlawfully, terminated Sarah's parental rights between Isaiah and little Freddie. He writes in here, termination of the parent-child relationship would benefit the children because these children are adoptable and in an adoptive placement. Now, this also goes for Josiah, Sarah's third child that was kidnapped in Oklahoma. Okay. Assistant Attorney General Daryl Dowell, and this is Exhibit F4, she wrote up the termination order for Judge Brian Ishikawa, which is another bad, bad criminal judge. Oh, he's evil. On page seven, paragraph one, she writes for the judge. A termination of these parental rights would further the plan of adoption. What parents need to know is that once CPS kidnapped your children, takes your child, your son, your daughter from you, and wants to drag you through the court process, they immediately place that child in an adoptive home. Someone that's looking to adopt a child. Because in within CPS, they have a special department, an adoption department. Okay. And what I found out too was in the court system, the courts have a special adoption department. So they're going to place your son or your daughter or both 
in an adoptive placement. And, and those foster parents, which will soon be the adoptive parents, are going to attend every court hearing. And they're going to be allowed in the court hearings. But I'm going to be kicked out of the court hearings. And because the system is set up to where when they take these children, they, they're not going to return them to you. No. You're no. not going to get reunified. Your family is not going to be um, put back together. It's, it's a very small, small percentage that children actually do get returned home, home or where, you know, the case isn't, like, some parents don't actually experience the full-blown-out corruption. You know what I mean? That's why people are like, oh, well, they don't just go in and take your child for no reason. Yeah. I hate hearing that from people. Ugh. Okay, so yeah. after after they took Isaiah, um, within 77 days, uh, there was um, a CPS worker, uh, Lane Hartley, went over to my friend Sandra Gouger's house and asked Sandra if she would adopt Isaiah. 77 days. CPS, after they took Isaiah, they never had any intention of returning him home to Sarah. They, they were going to adopt that child out come hell or high water. And his brothers that were taken after him is just collateral damage. Yeah, basically. Unfortunate. Yeah. Um. So, Bessie, you know what? I don't know if you said anything about this, but when I was going to, I'm saying, I'm sorry to everyone for us kind of jumping around, but no, it's good. When I, I had um, two lawyers, Julia and Bernard Lopez, right? Husband and wife. Oh, yeah. And I went into a meeting and it was Julia Lopez that looked at me and she told me to sacrifice one child to save the other. She wanted me to, yeah, that's what those were her exact words. There are things that you have that happened to you going through this process that you, you know, you want to block a lot of it out, but there's just certain things that will always stick with you forever. Sarah had 12 court appointed pretenders at that. No, I've had a total of 13. No, it's 12. Okay. Well, 12. 12. My bad. 12. And not one of those attorneys. They, every single attorney that Sarah was appointed by the court absolutely positively refused to submit her evidence. And 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 what your, your listeners need to know is that I was court-ordered to do things. I was court-ordered to go to counseling, to go to parenting classes, domestic violence class. Like, I was, you know, drop you A's. And I did that. And I went and, to... You know, another thing is that... When Sarah was doing all of these, uh, dropping her urine at um, task to test for drug usage, all of them was all of her test results were negative. They were all negative. But when Amy Cromer, the CPS worker, got on the stand, she sat there and lied, and she said that Sarah did not exhibit one moment of sobriety during her whole case. 
Well, even Judge Curry, when he terminated Sarah's parental rights, he lied. He said that when CPS took Isaiah on May 4th, 2009, that he was medically neglected, that he was having seizures, which is an outright lie because the medical doctors said, and these are licensed medical doctors that have a long reputation said that he, Isaiah only suffered seizures on day one of life. So all these judges are still on the bench. Yeah. You know, and on June 6th of 2015, we went to a court hearing for Sarah's last son, Jaden. And Sarah was telling Judge Joan Sinclair about her fiduciary duty to uphold the law. And the judge got really mad at Sarah. And she, Judge Joan Sinclair told Sarah, I'm going to terminate your parental rights. And Sarah said, Sarah asked her, she said, well, where's the evidence to terminate my parental rights? And the judge looked at Sarah and said, it's not a matter of evidence, ma'am. So Judge Sinclair knew to terminate Sarah's parental rights, just like the other three judges knew, that you don't have to have evidence. You can just do it because nobody's going to make you uh, uh, hold you accountable for anything. You can do whatever you want on that bench. Yeah. So we took that, a friend of mine, another advocate and I, took that portion of the recording and we put it on social media and blasted it everywhere. Well, guess what? Me and my friend are brought in on contempt of court charges. Okay, they wanted to throw me and her in jail and they wanted us to wipe the internet of this video and, and exposing Judge Sinclair. Well, what Judge Sinclair did was she committed perjury and fraud because she signed her name to a minute entry on that date of that hearing on January 6, 2015, that she admonished everyone in that courtroom not to talk about the case. Well, that was a damn lie. She lied. So six months into this court proceeding for contempt of court where they're trying to throw me in jail and give me fines and everything else, my friend and I proved that Sinclair did not admonish anyone in that courtroom. So we won, but Sinclair still sitting on the bench. So you know what they did with her? They just moved her to a different division. So she's still out there destroying lives. So here you've got a judge that tells a parent, a mother, that she's going to terminate her parental rights and she don't need no evidence. She can just do whatever the hell she wants to do. And then we prove that she committed fraud and perjury by signing her name to an order that she didn't do. She didn't say. And what does she do? She gets moved. I want your viewers to know, too, <clears throat> that the Arizona governor, um, Douglas Anthony Ducey, and the attorney general, Mark Burnovich, they are also 
in um, involved in taking in in trafficking my children. That's important that they know that. Can you explain how so people can understand how even people at that level could could be involved with this? Well, a lot of um, a lot of Arizona government officials sit on the board of um, several agencies that work with directly with CPS. Uh, there's, you know, a lot of judges. Sheriff Joe was on there. Doug Ducey, uh, Janice Brewer, uh, a lot of judges. You know, they have a vested interest because this. Um, the seizure of these children by CPS is, is what I call a state-sanctioned kidnap-for-profit scheme because they make money. The state earns money, and this this is all, all money put in their coffers. Hold on. Can you actually go to that photo that we sent you? It's my mom. This photo that um, you're going to pull up right now. Which one is, is it? It's the one... Um, which one? It's, it's, it kind of looks like a mugshot, in other words. With your, <laughs> with your mom? Oh, uh, F1. There you go. I haven't, I haven't gone over her notes, so I don't know, like, the eight, you know, I don't know how she's got it all. It's but, a photo yeah. of your mother? This one? Yeah. No, not that one, the other one. Oh. Let's see. Okay, what was the number? F1. Oh, it's right there. It's right there. This one. F1. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. I should have said second round. Can everybody see that? It hasn't clicked into it yet. I mean, maybe maybe on yours. Here end, we go. But... Okay. There we go. Okay, there you go. If you zoom in. Okay, so this is a bolo. It'll be on the lookout. This is in every court in the state of Arizona. And my mom was shown this by a... I tell you, God has angels. And I know for a fact that it was an angel that showed us this particular mugshot of me. Oh, it's not a mugshot. It was from her driver's license. It photo. was from my driver's license. We were, I was sitting in a, a court hearing waiting for Sarah for a, a, a court hearing with Jaden, her fourth son. And this Sheriff's deputy, well, he was in a sheriff's uniform. He came up to me and he said, he had that picture in his hand and he said, you know, these were issued, this was issued in all the courts of Arizona. And he said, um, the, the presiding judge, oh uh, gosh, I can't think of his name right off the hand. Um, but the presiding judge over all the courts um, told the um, what Sheriff, is, uh, the bailiff, the uh, gave permission for the Superior Court Marshal's office to do a background check on me. And it says in that bolo, um, her daughter's children were taken by CPS, and she is accusing the courts of being corrupt and running a kidnapping ring. Well, it's true. The thing I but find no, interesting I really is that it says no criminal history on 
Yeah. This bolo also. I think that's very interesting that it doesn't really add to their bolo being very credible. You don't seem like a very threatening person on paper, in my uh, opinion. We're threatening Satan. That's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, words, words, words are very powerful. Words are more powerful than uh, about or physical violence. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, when you speak the truth, you know, all the cockroaches run and hide in the dark. But, you know, when I decided to follow up and see uh, who this sheriff's deputy was, and I don't, I don't have his name in front of me right now, because this was back in 2014, um, but I called the sheriff's office. I wanted to talk to him. And they told me that they have no such person by the name that works for the sheriff's department. Wow. So I know, I believe, and I truly, in my heart of hearts, know that it was one of God's angels that posed in that uniform and showed me that document to help us. Now, can you explain a little bit about what a bolo is for people who that might be kind of new to you? It looks a little bit self-explanatory, but I'm sure that there's, um, you know, reasons why they created this. And would you be able to explain to you where they would put this so people could recognize you? Well, they put it like at security um, when you first walk in uh, to the courthouse. Um, because if, if you look at the bottom of that uh, picture, um, let me pull it up on my computer. It says that if you see this individual, well, contact your supervisor and Inspector Finsky or Safran should you see her enter your facility. <laughs> now, I tell you what, I cannot be an advocate or attend any court hearings for any other parents because I immediately will get evicted out of that courtroom. Mm. We have, we have, we have, I was physically thrown out of the courthouse in Oklahoma, physically thrown out of the courthouse, but I got back in that courthouse and that judge apologized to me. So Matthew, that doesn't work. So sorry, I should have muted. You're good. Okay, sorry. Um, our uh, the shower handle to turn the water on was coming loose this morning, so uh, yeah, can't use that. <laughs> Don't want to use that. That's for sure. Yeah. So essentially, yeah. this if it is put up on a door. In a facility that you're entering that could be doing a trial or a hearing, this gives them the right to basically throw you out of the courthouse so you can't participate in those hearings or trials. Is that correct? No, it's actually um, this bolo is actually at the security when you first walk into a courthouse. It's not in the individual courtrooms. But by this time, most of the assistant attorney generals who are prosecuting these parents in these, these dependency actions 
they know who I am. I mean, I'm like a household name in, um, in, in Arizona because I, I really exposed a lot of judges, especially in Sarah's case. And so then this piece, this paper, they can take you out of the courtroom so you can't say be a witness or take the stand. Um, well, I mean, I wouldn't be asked to take the stand, but I would certainly be there to listen. Sure. And, you know, capture any uh, criminal activity by the judge. Okay. So after this came to your attention and this person that doesn't seem to have any records anywhere showed you this, what happened after that? Nothing really. Um, you know, I mean, I, I still continued to go to court with Sarah, but I know that, you know, when I went to court with her after this was issued, um, you know, the court security would follow me around the building. You know, I mean, I would go to the ladies' room and I'd say, you, would you like to join me? You know, you can certainly follow me in here if you want. She would. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And then but, just to clarify, know, too, with the fourth child, it was the same thing, too, right? No, actually, we we brought, brought Jaden home for, like, eight months. Yeah, we brought him home for some time, but that's because... I didn't give him a birth certificate or a social security card. And that was the pregnancy that you checked in anonymously when you were going into labor, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When, yeah. When I went in for my C-section. Yeah. So how did they yeah, end up knowing? How did they do what? I'm sorry. What was that? How did they end up finding out about that pregnancy and that birth? Because of the dad. Tell them about the dad. Actually. Yeah. Um, the, the father of my oldest, well, my youngest three, um, <clears throat> he, uh, he would come over to the house, you know, hi. And, um, he would not really focus on his son. So I didn't really see what the point was of him coming over. Sorry, I was trying to plug in the phone. And, um. Me and the dad, we knew this couple that um, just mutually. And um, her and her husband, they broke up. Me and her husband, we got connected. We were hanging out. Um, not, you know, not like that or anything. We were just hanging out. And because um, he lived down the street from me. But, um, so they were going through a divorce or they were already divorced at the time and she got pissed. And, um, so did my children's father. So her and the, their dad got connected and they called in a false CPS report on me. And she admitted that. And we presented that, e that, that message. It, didn't mean anything. So he's the hit. The dad is actually the reason why he's gone. Unreal. I know. And I just found out today he gets out of prison in five weeks and I don't, I don't need to, you know what I mean? Like, 
it's just hard to think about that when, you know, parents can just be so malicious and so evil towards their children without realizing that they're doing it to their child. They're not just, yeah. They're, yeah. I told her that Ashley told you in a Facebook message. I didn't tell her what the Facebook message said. I just said that, that Freddie and Ashley were in on it together. Well, Ashley admitted that she was going to call CPS on Sarah. Yeah. And the thing is, is that when Ashley called CPS, the only address she had was our old address that we had moved out of because, you know, with this court case fighting for so long, I mean, we spent thousands of dollars um, and, and many hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of hours doing research and filing documents and stuff. And um, the CPS actually went to, they, 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 what the allegations were now was that Sarah was using heroin while she was pregnant. They, they didn't, they never observed the child. Um, and when Ashley called CPS on Sarah, um, Ashley had our old address that we had moved out of six months earlier because we had lost our home. We had to do a short sale on our home uh, because of, you know, fighting this court case. And what happened was this social worker named Michael Messinas, Sarah was getting medical assistance and food stamps at the time. He went into our her, Sarah's records and found our current address. But the allegations were that Sarah and I were both selling heroin out of our home. Sarah was using heroin while she was pregnant with Jaden. But, of course, they didn't have Jaden's name. But, you know, I found, I found the documents that proves that he admitted that he went into um, Sarah's medical and food stamps and got our, our, our current dress. So, you know, the allegations, like, they didn't have any, I mean, of course, none of it was true. Okay. And then um, in his report, he's saying mother stated this, that she's got bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. Mother stated that she's using heroin. And in the same, the same report, he says in there, Mother has not been interviewed at this time. Mother has not been interviewed at this time. So it's like if 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 Sarah made all these statements, who in the hell did she say it to? <laughs> I mean, this is what's so. I mean, it's 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 serious, but it's it's almost to the point where it's comical, because you have this CPS worker, where his previous job he was a sales clerk at uh, Old Navy, and. And I did my research. And, and now he's out there playing like he's some sort of CPS investigator and going out and destroying families and kidnapping children. I you heard know, Guantanamo Bay calling these people's names, though. Get Mo. Mm. You know, and then, <laughs> then I find his Facebook profile, and he's on there with, like, an AK-15 or an AK-47 or whatever, you know, with this gun in his hand, it's like, okay, are you serious? So yeah, it, it's just, you know, and you're right. I, it's I'm not funny, but the thing, the thing that's oh, she, really amazing is that these mistakes are very, very obvious. 
it's not like it's it's hard to see these things being true when they're actually written down and said to you or recorded. That's the part that gets me is you have literal documentation of all of this and still the evidence doesn't even get looked at. It's just literally that corrupt is all I can say. It boggles my mind. That's the part for me where it's like, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to read through this. I don't know anything about law, but I can even read through this and say, this doesn't make sense and this doesn't make sense. So to have that in a court of law and to have them not even present that information, overlook information, make these mistakes, this date doesn't line up with this date, this statement doesn't line up with this allegation, it's just very unreal to me how this is happening and people aren't talking about it. Yeah, you know, um, Sarah had 12 court-appointed pretenders and there was, uh, I think, 23 judges, I believe. No, it wasn't 23. And, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 23. It wasn't 23. I counted them. Sorry, mother-daughter tit-for-tat thing. <laughs> uh, I'll go back and look at my list. 12 court-appointed attorneys. Now, the thing is, is that Sarah... We documented 88 motions to the court, and Sarah submitted her own evidence. We submitted 88 motions, requests, and notices to the court. Um, they, these judges ignored 32 documents, denied 21, and struck eight of them directly from the record. I don't even think we're halfway done telling you guys like everything. Oh my gosh. I know. Even on the, the notes that you sent me, we're only about halfway through that and there's still so many documents. Yeah. I'd love yeah. if you could, before we got on this call, I think this is a good place to insert this too. Before we were on the call, you guys enlightened me on some really mind blowing facts about CPS that I didn't know. And I'm guaranteeing people also don't know about what it actually is and what they have permission to use the children for within the organization. Okay. So when I was doing my research, I found out that DCS is a, a, our, our child protective services is actually a privately held company. And that is exhibit. Um, what is it? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, they are a privately held company. Um, and it says right here, Arizona Department of Child Safety is a privately held company in Phoenix, Arizona, and there's a single location business, which is not true. Oh, God, they have them everywhere. Okay. Now, with them being a privately held com co company, they actually have a contract with the state of Arizona. Uh, let me find those exhibits that I sent you. 
Um, okay, exhibit two shows that they're a privately held a company. Um, <laughs> unbelievable right there. Look at that. And then I think you have their Dun and Bradstreet report as well. Oh, uh, let me pull up my email. Well, while she's doing that, Emma, I want to just thank you again so much. I mean, this is just, I mean, I can't, I don't think I could thank you enough. You know, you're giving parents because I'm telling you right now, I've struggled over the years trying to get my voice heard. And I mean, Timothy Charles Holmes says, I'm pretty sure a lot, maybe a lot of your viewers might have heard of him. Um, he's with the Pentagon Pedophile Task Force, and he did three articles on my case. Yeah, and Facebook, and Facebook went as far as deleting his complete URL. Anything that you post from Timothy Holmes says. Or if you tag him in, they went as far as deleting his Facebook page, both of them, because of what he did on my case. All you have to do is type in Timothy Charles Holmseth, H-O-L-M-S-E-T-H, and then Sarah Ybarra Johnson, and it'll pull up the three articles. But, like, I've struggled so many times. I mean, uh, YouTube, uh, Daniel Lee, I don't know if your viewers have heard Daniel Lee, he, um, <clears throat> he's been reporting on what's been going on in the government for oh my gosh for a long time and you know they took they took that video down and and um i've had twitter instagram um facebook just smother me with censoring and um cancel culture you know what i mean like it's it's such a treasure to come across people like you and, and, and you, it's a needle in the haystack. You can't, you can't find people like you. It's so hard because there's so many, just, there's so many wolves out there that are, you know, now another thing is to how many businesses actually have a Dunn and Bradstreet account. We actually got together and we spent the money and got uh, the Department of Child Safety's done in Bradstreet Report. And that's exhibit number three. Yeah. Looks like that. That one. Oh, you can't really see it because I'm too far away. But <laughs> and this is like an eight-page report. And it says that they only, it, they said that it started in 2014. Well, the reason they're saying that it started in 2014 is because Governor Brewer separated um, CPS from the Arizona Department of Economic Security and made it a cabinet level organization that answers directly to the governor and changed the name to the Department of Child Safety. So in this eight page done, done in Bradstreet report, which is actually used for a credit rating, says they only have two employees and it started in 2014. Yeah. And it says it's a subsidiary of the executive office of the state of Arizona. 
Oh, yeah. And something else your viewers need to know. CPS has a quota that they have to meet. Taking a certain amount of children every day. No way. Yes. Um, I believe, it, may, mom, correct me. I believe it's 39 children a day. Yeah. Is that just, you can find that openly? Mom, where did you find that? Um, Brandy, I don't know where I found it. Sorry, my dog's like. Now, if, if anybody listening want... finds it, send it over. I'm going to dig into that okay. too. That's 39 children a day. That's countrywide or is that just in your state? No, that's my state. That's that's just your state. <sighs> yeah, but they're taking, I mean, they're taking way more children than that. You got to now exhibit number four says that this is why they do it. They do it for the money. Okay. So exhibit number four, I pulled this information, um, a few years ago and, um, it has since been scrubbed from the, uh, the, from their website. No way. But, Chapter 7, Section 22, Exhibit Number 4. Strong. I captured this information back on July 19th of 2013. And now they've scrubbed it. You can see the picture below that they've scrubbed it. So it says here, Title 4E is a major component of funding for the division. Arizona receives approximately $180 million annually for Title 40 funding. Holy smokes. Now, they, they also, our federal government have given them a uh, employer identification number. So this information is scrubbed from the internet. Um, so if you go to Exhibit number seven now. <clears throat> and you might be able to blow this up. I don't know. That's pretty tiny. I mean, that's pretty tiny. You'd have to really blow that up because of the it's small. We'll give it a shot. Not sure where it's at. This is uh, Arizona and and the website where I was getting this information has now also hidden it. Um, will you stop crying, Brownie? My dog's over here just crying and crying. Earning history by state. So the incentive payment program for adopted. Right. So oh my goodness. You can look here and list every single state of what they earned from these financials. Arizona's the third one down. If you go over to 2008, um, you can see that Arizona, and, and the way these bonuses work is that adoptions have to meet like this baseline and then each state that surpasses that baseline of children that they adopt out, they get bonuses. Okay. 
And this is just one sheet of figures. But in 2008, Arizona got a bonus for adoptions of $499,200. In 2009, they made $660,000, which is really, you know, about a half a million dollars. Yeah. So they, they gear up in 2009 or 2010. They make four million sixty-four thousand in two thousand eleven, five million eight hundred fifty-six thousand. Two thousand twelve, it's still around five million seven hundred. And in two thousand thirteen and fourteen, they're over seven million dollars. And that's where I stopped because the place where I was getting these reports has hidden the information. So I can't just go in and look it up. And you used to be able to, whenever you got this, you could go in and look it up. I could go look it up. Yeah. But not now. Um, oh my gosh. And I can't remember the name of the website. Let me see if I can find it. In Arizona, it looks like makes a lot more money every year than a lot of these other states. Oh, yeah. The website is ND, N as in Nancy, D as in David, A as in Apple, C A N. So sorry. Yeah, this is a website where they are supposed to track all these numbers, okay? But they've hidden it, so now I can't, I, I, I can't go in and just, just pull it up. Unreal. I know. Oh I know. There's so much information that's in these documents. No wonder we've been suppressed all these years. I mean, you know, whatever you want to call it, silence. And I, I really appreciate you guys shining light on this. It's very, it takes my breath away just even seeing that this exists. And for those of you that aren't looking, you guys should definitely jump on YouTube and just look. It might be a little bit small and, um, but you can zoom in and just see the best that you can that this is actually a real document and it documents literally over a decade of incentives that states have won by the state, by the dollar amount, and it is shocking. I don't even know what to say right now, and I can see why they would hide it because these dollar amounts, $7 million, is is very significant. You know, you can do a lot with $7 million, um, and that's just one state, one year, you know, and that – Where's that money going? Is it going in somebody's somebody's? Well, and why And why do they have to hide it? You know, I always – I think whenever you start hiding things, that's when the questions need to be asked. You know, this should be – everybody in your state should know that that this is where money is going, you know. And the fact that it's hidden, there's probably not many people out even thinking about looking for it. So you're right. Well, where, where does like, it go? Like the state of Arizona took down Phoenix Children's Hospital contract. Oh, my they, gosh. They, they took down uh, uh, Chapter 7. That talks about the, the federal funding. You know? 
Now, um, there's another, let's see here. Let me go back to that email I sent you. Um, <coughs> if you pull up exhibit five, um, this actually is from 2017 because, you know, a lot of the information is being hidden on the internet, um, you know, because this criminal RICO scheme is getting exposed. But the thing, though, is that this was all on the internet at some point. Like, they lay it out there for you to find this stuff. This is just, I, oh, my, like, they are just so bold. You know what I mean? But we've all been brainwashed. And, and we've, none of us have, you know what I mean? Like, it's it was just so well hidden, yet hidden complete in plain sight. Yeah. We just never thought to look for it. Out of sight, out of mind. And that's you why your I mean? story to me was so important to bring on, because it it's very easy to dispel a story as being a conspiracy for those people so against wanting to open up their mind if they don't see something. Right. And that's what this, I'm trying to say here is that what we have uncovered through documented evidence is this is organized crime. It's a RICO scheme. Right. And these documents, uh, the, let me just make sure my phone's charging. The documents that we have, um, they will put officials in prison. You know what I mean? Like, and, 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 and the thing is, is that my case is connected to other cases. Like, I've had it where somebody complete, like, somebody I don't even know that, but just somebody that me and my mom met and, you know, we're, we were asked to, like, sit in and, like, listen. You know what I mean? So, like, the court hearing of this person. Well, all of a sudden, my court case gets brought up in her court case during her hearing. This has happened a few times. They can't do that. But I'm telling you right now, if my case, if these documents get in the right hands, it's going to be a domino effect. It is gonna if, if you look, if you look at exhibit five, okay, I somehow I stumbled onto this document. And this, what this document is, is that it shows the level of evidence that each state requires to actually take a child for CPS to take a child. Now, the only document I could find was 2017. Arizona is, of course, state administrator, administer, administered. They are the only state out of all of the states in the United States of America that uses probable cause to take a child away from a family. And we can but see But I want your viewers to know that this, we'll get more in depth in the topic. Um, we're running out of time though, but like yep. this, this takes you to, um, you know, the children that they are finding from these underground tunnels. There's a, there is a, I mean, most of the children that are found in these underground tunnels come from CPS. And that, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into that topic. Um, 
you know, with maybe tomorrow or, or the next time that we're on here. But um, I, I, I'm telling you right now, this is one, this world that we are living in right now, it's a stage. It's so well put together, the way everything is designed. It's for a very satanic, very evil purpose to prey on children mainly. And, um, well, you know, most states require a preponderance of evidence. And Arizona, they only have to have probable cause. It's like, you know, these CPS workers are going to look into their crystal ball and they're going to go take your child because they're going to protect that child from possible abuse and neglect in the future. But it's, it's really for different reasons. It's for money. It's for organ harvesting, adrenochrome, you know, um, cannibalism. Like, it's these children, it's, it's, it's truth. And as nasty as the truth can be, it needs to come out. And people need to, you need to snap out of this. Oh, I don't want to hear about it because it's gross and I don't want to think about it. Well, you know what? More parents need to start thinking about it because... If, if this was happening to one of my children or if, or if it was happening to my neighbor's children, I would want for my neighbors to step in and help me. And this is just the tip of the iceberg, Emma, is I, I have done, you know, like I said, hundreds of hours of research and I have, I have a whole box of documents I haven't even filed yet. But, you know, the one thing that absolutely enraged me is that... I find our federal government at fault because they're the ones that's providing the the bonuses, the incentives to have CPS take these children in this organized uh, crime ring. It's a criminal enterprise. It's RICO, you know, just like it was back in the old days with the mafia. This is just modern day, modern day slavery committed by your state. And what really enraged me was the fact that I found out and uncovered that our federal government, under the Code of Federal federal Regulations, allows children that are wards of the state in foster care can be used in medical research as guinea pigs. And the Arizona governor, Governor Ducey, is on the board of directors with TGEN which is a medical research facility in Arizona. Yeah. So we can get into that in, in part two. Yeah. Um, but it, it does, that, to me, that's a crime against humanity. Oh, you, oh, you have no idea. I, I think that right now, Governor Ducey just thinks that he's going to continue to do whatever he's doing. But I'm telling you right now, he's going to be tried for treason and, when you're punished for treason, the, the punishment is death. Well, I don't think that they need to really worry about, I mean, being charged with treason or being charged here with crimes. You know, they need to worry about it's, the it's, they're, they're going to have to answer to God for what they've done. And there's so much that is going to be a more severe penalty. There's so much blood on their hands right now. I mean, Governor Ducey has so much blood on his hands. Uh, Even Governor Brewer, you know, uh, Sarah's had with the, this, the course of this case, you know, she had three attorney uh, attorney generals, Terry Goddard, Tom Horn, and now Mark Brnovich. And all three of them are criminals and they know what their attorney generals are doing. Yeah, they all know what they're doing. You have to know. You have to know because when you're 
in, you know what I mean? When you're working around families and stuff, of course you're going to get complaints and whatnot. And you have to be, I'm sure these people are threatened and whatnot. It's all money laundering. And, you know, that's why they're taking these children because somebody's getting rich. Many people are getting rich. Well, I, yeah. Yeah. I got I got to say goodbye. I got to go take my son to work. Yeah. I was going to say so. I think this is probably a good we left with a lot of cliffhangers and this was a lot of information that I I hope people go back and re-listen to it, especially if they didn't get to take some notes cuz there was a lot a lot of really incredible information. You guys just blew my mind with a lot of the stuff that we just talked about. So, before we log off, Sarah if you want to speak on behalf of of your mom also where can people connect with you uh well mom's right here you know they can connect with us on facebook um you know uh they just got to type our names in and okay and i'll link all of that below for people too yeah. that way they can find yeah. you and it's just your names um, yeah okay. i mean mom she's got uh what what's your picture uh, it's a picture of Jesus, I believe. On your face? On your I, face? I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, there's a picture of me and mom holding up a sign, two white signs with black letters. Okay. It, it, it usually pops up, but, um, yeah, I can see if I can send you the link and then they could just add me and then I can send them the link to my mom. But, Perfect. Um, and then do that. There's, uh, Instagram. We're on Telegram. It's the picture that she, uh. Oh, it's the picture that you posted of mom in the brown shirt. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, and for people well, listening I mean, to you, if they, if you guys go find Sarah on Instagram, which I encourage you to, I'm going to link it below. That way you guys can just find it quick and, and, and easy. Um, if you're on your phone, go find her right now. She literally has a lot of the documents that I'm, that I'm showing you. If you didn't have the opportunity to see them, you can go on her Instagram and you can see a lot of this for yourself. She's, She's not hiding anything from you or from me. She's literally saying, I want you to see this. So take the liberty, especially yeah. like she said, before she gets purged off social media because that happens to a lot of us trying to do these things. So go on, screenshot, help share, take pictures and send it to people. Say, hey, did you know that this is happening? Share this interview. It takes all of us. We have to be the the ones talking about this. It's not going to – you're hearing these names of who's involved with this, and we're expecting that they're going to take care of it. Not realizing that their toes are dipped in this, if not their entire body totally submerged in it. So we have to be the ones to share this information. We have to be the ones to make this change. It's not going to come from the people that we're trusting to do this. And I can't stress that enough for people. If there's one thing I've learned, it's that we the people have to be this movement. We the people have to put our resources together. And I am begging people that that are lawyers, that are judges, that that are knowing leap participating in these crimes, even if you're not benefiting from it, even if it is something that you're being coerced into doing, we need more people stepping out of that and saying, I'm willing to share my story or I'm willing to help with this case. And if people listening know people that could help Sarah and her mother, please come forward. We're trying to build a community. We want these resources available and, and it to happen organically and grassroots because as you're learning, the people that we that we're told to go to aren't the best options to go to, and a lot of them are profiting off of us being trained to go to them. So I want you guys to think about that and to think about how you can be a small part in this, whether it is just sharing this interview with a friend, connecting with Sarah on, on Instagram and screenshotting or sending her her 
her posts to your friends that can go look at things. They're posting them to your story. We need to get the word out on this. We need to spread this. This has to become a movement that we all actively participate in. Because unless we all do that, these people are working. They're working overtime to make this happen, right? And we're sitting back thinking that somebody else is going to take care of it. We have to work harder than they are. And so that means that we all have to come together and there has to be more of us than them. We have to be working twice as hard as them and we have to be the ones to share these stories. So I can't, you thanked me earlier, Sarah. I can't thank you enough. You're so brave for doing this. I mean, these stories, I get so heartbroken even listening and I can't even fathom being in your shoes and having the strength that you do to keep going on every day and speaking, showing up with a positive attitude, wanting to educate people, Wanting to share your story on a platform like this, it's got to be painful to to talk about it, you know, and to relive it and rehash it. And so I just can't speak highly enough about you for, you know, your 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 children are so lucky that they have you as their mom. You know, God, God gave you a really hard job and one that, that you don't deserve, but he knew uh-huh. that you were the one that, that would be that mother for these kids to fight for them. You know, so I also know you you have a divine purpose with what these situations have given you. So I can't thank you enough for for being you and for fighting for these kids and for, for coming on here and sharing. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. I really I really appreciate this. Um, you know, I just I just want everybody to know that me and my mom we're not going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going anywhere. So and I know, you know, I know there's those that, that are fighting, you know, there's an anointing on everyone that's out there, um, you know, uh, stepping out of fear and saying, you're not going to control me and, and using, you know, the, the voice that God gave you because it says in the scripture that life and death is in the power of the tongue. You know what I mean? If you speak life into something, you know what I mean? You're going to, you're going to, you're going to get that. Um, I know that. The more that people speak out on the truth, the more that the light is going to get spread and the more people are going to wake up. And, um, you know, I mean, you guys saw it firsthand with what they did to President Trump. I mean, that's 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 how evil um, that and careless that they are right now. So if there's ever been a time to speak up, now's the time because America's at war. We're at war from within our own government and our go- our own governments colluding with, you know, other other countries to to make this Nazi Germany again. And we, we got to break and abolish that cycle. It, it can happen. It's possible. Um, so I'll leave it at that. And you guys <laughs> heard it at that. you guys heard a little bit. A little bit ago, what's what's in store next week? So on next week's episode, we're gonna finish or have the part two if there's if there's more to go over. Um, but we're gonna dive down some of those rabbit holes that we talked about just a little bit ago. So Sarah, thank you so much again for tuning in. I appreciate you and everybody. Please subscribe. I can't stress enough to share. Connect with Sarah. I'm gonna have all of her information below. And we can't to see we can't wait to see you guys next week. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Sarah, you have a good day, girl, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye everybody. <laughs>